0: Welcome to this week's podcast, Building Blocks of the Indian Economy. I'm your host, Amar Meni. Now, if we are to talk of building blocks of any modern industrial economy, we need to think about machines, or, in economics jargon, capital goods. Certainly, our political leaders and bureaucrats started to think along these lines soon after independence, and Prime Minister Nehru and Prasanta Mahalanobis at the Planning Commission came to the conclusion that what India lacked most was machinery. It could not launch economically without machines. And the Indian economy had to develop the capacity to make these machines in India to save money on importing expensive foreign machinery, paying foreign currency. That quest started in the 1950s and, you could say, it continues to this day. So we will now turn our minds to the machinery which makes the modern Indian economy work. But, before we do that, we have to start with something even more basic. What, after all, are the machines made of in the first place? Since the start of the Industrial Revolution, the answer has mainly been steel. Most industrial machines are made from steel, and so Nehru and Mahalanobis understood that in order to be able to make machines, you need to be able to make steel, and plenty of it. India did have some steel-making capacity, most famously pioneered by the Tatars at Jamshedpur, prior to independence. Now the government sought to take over the commanding heights of the economy in the 1950s, but amazingly, the Tatars survived, and even prospered, a little. The government's steelmaking enterprises, on the other hand, were notoriously inefficient in those days. A bottomless pit that the government would keep pouring money into. But let's not dwell too much on the past. Let's take a look at the steel industry as it exists today. Now, the biggest demand for steel actually comes from the construction industry, which sucks up about 60% of steel output. You can imagine all the steel required in building a high-rise apartment, or an office tower. But capital goods, that is machinery, is the second biggest customer for steel, accounting for about 15% of demand. About 20 million metric tons a year in India. This demand could more than double by the end of the decade, driven by the aerospace and defence sectors, as well as the electrical equipment market. Although India is a big producer of steel, the steel that the capital goods or machine industry requires is not the crude steel that India makes in abundance, but high-value-added steel. You could say steel products for specialised machinery, and so the machine industry has to look to South Korea and Japan for the import of this specialty steel. Now it is a bit of a chicken and egg scenario. Indian steel makers will tell you that they cannot make this specialty steel because India's machine industry is too small and fragmented. There are no economies of scale. But the machine industry cannot grow to scale without the supply of reasonably priced, high-value-added or specialty steel. So that tells us something about the relationship between the machine builders and their suppliers of steel. But let's not get too ahead of ourselves. I really should back up a little and answer the more basic question What is steel? We all know what it looks like But what is it made of? Well, it is an alloy of iron and carbon There are two main modes of production The blast furnace, which uses iron ore as the main raw material and coal as a reducing agent along with limestone and an element of recycled steel The other is the electric arc furnace which uses recycled steel and already reduced iron and electricity to produce crude steel. So carbon is required as an input into the production process, but then the steel mills themselves are most often powered by coal-fired electricity. So as you can imagine, steelmaking is among the most carbon and energy intensive industries in the world, not to mention the potential for environmental pollution. And India has by far the most carbon-intensive steel-making process in the world. Canada is the cleanest, or least dirty, shall we say. So let's take a look around the world. And there have been massive changes in the global pattern of production and consumption of steel over the past 35 years. The cause of this massive change can be summed up in one word. Yes. You guessed it. China. See, there is a very direct symbiotic relationship between steel and economic growth. Economic growth fuels the demand for steel to power industrialization and manufacturing. Or to put it the other way, you cannot industrialize without steel. And so as a country grows, it will demand, and if it has the capacity, produce more steel the graph for GDP and the graph for steel production and demand will follow the same path, and so it was with China. Looking at that graph is quite an incredible thing. Back around 1990, China produced less than 70 million metric tons of steel a year. Fast forward to the present, it now produces close to 1 billion tons. 70 million to 1 billion. It absolutely dwarfs India's progress in this time, from about 15 million tons to about 110 million tons. And in this time, China has become the world's biggest producer, accounting for about 50% of the world's production. India also increased its share of global production to 5%. A lot can be gleaned about each country's economic development from just that one graph on steel production. A single Chinese steel group, Baowu, produces about the same amount of steel as all of India in a given year. China took the number one producer position from Japan back in 1996, and it has not given it up since. Incredibly, India is now the second biggest producer in the world, so far behind China, mind you. But it also tells you a lot about the deindustrialization of Europe the United States, and Japan during this time. They have shrunk as both producers and consumers of steel. China has become the biggest exporter of steel, and the European Union, the biggest importer. In the United States, they have a term, the Rust Belt, to describe all their factories in the Midwest, which have gone to rust since the 1990s. Now, as we have seen, the Indian steel industry is dwarfed by China's. But that is not to say that India has not made impressive progress over the past 30 years. Ah yes, if only the Chinese economic juggernaut had not been there, we in India would look so much better. Well, much of the change in the Indian steel industry has come from its liberalisation after 1991. Back then, production was split about 50-50 between the government and the private sectors. But today, the private sector accounts for about 80% of production, leaving just 20% to the government. The sector is open to foreign direct investment and over the past three decades has increased production by about six times. Now the average Indian uses about 70 kilos of steel a year, which is still about one third of the global average. But we can anticipate this changing in the decades ahead we would expect our own curve to follow the Chinese one. After all, the government is spending huge amounts on infrastructure development, the railways, ports, shipping and urban housing, all of which require steel. Demand is set to double to more than 200 million tons by the end of the decade. Besides the government's sale or Steel Authority of India Limited, the big players are the Tatars, still going after more than a century in the industry as well as sr steel and jsw steel now there was a major consolidation in the industry about a decade ago when chinese demand slowed down and they started dumping excess production in international markets some of the smaller indian steel makers could not survive they were just too highly leveraged but they were eagerly snapped up by the bigger players and the market went from about 17 producers to fall. In that time, these bankrupted steelmakers started accounting for a lot of these non-performing assets, and so recently bank lending to the sector has dipped, and the steel sector's access to the debt market has all but dried up. The government of India would go on to sign free trade agreements with South Korea and Japan, and so it is those two countries that India buys the most steel imports from today, not China. So that brings us to the question of the competitiveness of the Indian steel industry. And this is where it gets very interesting. See, the Indian steel industry is regarded as quite uncompetitive in global terms. But it is not the Indian steel makers fault. How could that be? Well, the Indian manufacturers make steel in just about the most efficient way in the world. Yes, World Steel Dynamics ranked India number two in the world for its cost of conversion of iron to steel. The second cheapest makers in the world after Ukraine. Now, given what has happened to Ukraine, I would hope we are now number one. That is, India's steel manufacturers are more cost efficient than the Chinese, the Japanese and the Koreans. So how could we possibly be regarded as uncompetitive in the global market? Well, it is what happens next that matters. What happens when the steel leaves the factory? Indian steel becomes more expensive by about $100 per unit due to logistics costs, the distance between the steel mill and the port, and the cost of transport and import duties that the government levies on cooking coal, which is an import into production. Also a clean energy cess, taxes and duties on iron ore, which is in abundance in India, and the high price of finance in India. This brings me to a very fundamental point about the way we manage the Indian economy. See, when the Chinese were dumping cheap steel in the Indian market about a decade ago, The government of India reacted the way it always does to such dumping. It placed prohibitive duties on such imports to protect Indian producers. But as we have just found out, if it was not for high logistics costs, the high price of finance, government levies on the import of the key component, cooking coal, besides taxes and duties on an import we have in abundance, iron ore, and the clean energy cess, then Indian steel would, in the first place, be just as cheap as the Chinese product, maybe cheaper, and not even be vulnerable to dumping in the first place. The Chinese product, even at its cheapest, would not be able to undercut the Indian product, which is much more efficiently manufactured. So, the government does everything it can to make Indian steel artificially expensive mainly for Indian industry, which pays this higher price, and also makes Indian steel uncompetitive in the global market, and then complains when the cheap Chinese product enters the Indian market. It makes that cheap Chinese product artificially expensive as well. So now we have artificially expensive Indian steel and artificially expensive Chinese steel. Big Indian steel makers are protected and Indian industry, particularly Indian machine makers, suffer for having to pay so much more for steel, making their machines artificially expensive in the Indian market and uncompetitive in the global market. Wrap your head around that. Now hypothetically, faced with the prospect of a foreign country dumping cheap steel in the Indian market, what should the Government of India's response be? No not levy a duty. Make the Indian product as competitive as possible. The Indian steelmakers have already done all the work after all. Improve connectivity between mills and ports. Allow the import of cheap coking coal with minimal duty. Reduce taxes on our own iron ore. Reduce the clean energy cess. And reduce the cost of borrowing in India. Then India would have the most efficient and cheapest steel in all the world.